see names of his Masonic acquaintances, thus he would say, I know no one by that name, since care was always taken to employ the symbolic names in introductions and conversations, Rizal's own symbolic name was, Dimasalam, Tagalog for, Nali Mitanher, and his nom de plume in some of his controversial publications, the use of that name by one of his companions on the railroad trip to Tarlac entirely mystified a station master, as appears in the secret report of the espionage of that trip, which just preceded his deportation to Dapan. Another possible explanation is that, since Freemasonry professes not to disturb the duties which its members owe to God, their country or their families, he may have considered himself as a good Mason under obligation to do whatever was demanded by these superior interests all three of which were at this time involved. The argument that it was his pride that restrained him suggested to resolve the possibility of his being unconsciously under an influence which during his whole life he had been combating, and he may have considered that his duty toward God required the sacrifice of this pride. For his country his sacrifice would have been blemished were any religious stigma to attach to it. He himself had always been careful of his own good name, and as we have said elsewhere, he told his companions that in their country's cause whatever they offered on the altars of patriotism must be as spotless as the sacrificial lambs of Levitical law. Furthermore, his work for a tranquil future for his family would be unfulfilled were he to die outside the church. Joe's fine as anomalous status, justifiable when all the facts were known, would be sure to bring criticism upon her unless corrected by the better defined position of a wife by a church marriage. Then the aged parents and the numerous children of his sisters would by his act be saved the scandal that in a country so medievally pious as the Philippines would come from having their relative die, an unrepentant heretic. Rizal had received from the Jesuits, while in prison, several religious books and pictures, which he used as remembrances for members of his family, writing brief dedications upon them. Then he said goodbye to Josefina, asking in a low voice some question to which she answered in English, Yes. Yes, and allowed inquiring how she would be able to gain a living, since all his property had been seized by the Spanish government to satisfy the 20.000 pesetas costs which was included in the sentence of death against him. Her reply was that she could earn money giving lessons in English. The journey from the fort to the place of execution, then Bagamayan Field, now called the Lunette, was on foot. His arms were tied tightly behind his back and he was surrounded by a heavy guard. The Jesuits accompanied him and some of his Dapitan schoolboys were in the crowd, while one friendly voice, that of a Scotch merchant still resident in Manila, called out in English, Goodbye, Rizal. The route was along the Malacan Drive where as a college student he had walked with his fiancée, Leonora. Above the city wall showed the twin towers of the Otmiel, and when he asked about them, for they were not there in his boyhood days, he spoke of the happy years that he had spent in the old school, the beauty of the morning, too, appealed to him, and may have recalled an experience of his 87 visit when he said to a friend whom he met on the beach during an early morning walk, do you know that I have a sort of foreboding that some such sunshiny morning as this I shall be out here facing, a firing squad, troops held back the crowds and left a large square for the tragedy while artillery behind them was ready for suppressing any attempt at rescuing the prisoner. None came, however, for though Rizal's brother Pashano had joined the insurrectionary forces in Cavita when the death sentence showed there was no more hope for Jose, he had discouraged the demonstration that had been planned as soon as he learned how scantily the insurgents were armed. 
hardly a score of serviceable firearms being in the possession of their entire army. The firing squad was of Filipino soldiers, while behind them, better armed, were Spaniards in case these tried to evade the fratricidal part assigned them. Rizal's composure aroused the curiosity of a Spanish military surgeon standing by and he asked, Colleague, may I feel your pulse? Without other reply the prisoner twisted one of his hands as far from his body as the cords which bound him allowed, so that the other doctor could place his fingers on the wrist. The beats were steady and showed neither excitement nor fear, was the report made later. His request to be allowed to face his executioners was denied as being out of the power of the commanding officer to grant, though Rizal declared that he did not deserve such a death, for he was no traitor to Spain. It was promised, however, that his head should be respected, and as unblindfolded and erect Rizal turned his back to receive their bullets, he twisted a hand to indicate under the shoulder where the soldiers should aim so as to reach his heart. Then as the volley came, with a last supreme effort of willpower, he turned and fell face upwards, thus receiving the subsequent shots of grace which ended his life, so that in form as well as fact he did not die a traitor's death. The Spanish national air was plagued, that march of cadas which should have recalled a violated constitution, for by the laws of Spain itself Rizal was illegally executed. Vivas, laughter and applause were heard, for it had been the social event of the day with breakfasting parties on the walls and on the carriages, full of interested onlookers of both sexes, lined up conveniently near for the sightseeing, the troops defiled past the dead body, as though reviewed by it, for the most commanding figure of all was that which lay lifeless, but the center of all eyes, an officer, realizing the decency due to death, drew his handkerchief from the dead man's pocket and spread the silk over the calm face. A crimson stain soon marked the whiteness emblematic of the pure life that had just ended, and with the glorious blue overhead, the tricolor of liberty, which had just claimed another martyr, was revealed in its richest beauty. Sir Hugh Clifford now Governor of Ceylon, in Blackwood's magazine, the story of Jose Rizal, the Filipino, a fragment of recent Asiatic history, comments as follows on the disgraceful doing of that day, it was, he writes, early morning. December 30th, 1896, and the bright sunshine of the tropics streamed down upon the open space, casting hard fantastic shadows, and drenching with its splendor to crowds of sightseers, the one was composed of Filipinos, cowed, melancholy, sullen, gazing through hopeless eyes at the final scene in the life of their great countryman the man who had dared to champion their cause, and to tell the world the story of their miseries, the other was blithe of air. Day with the uniforms of officers and the bright dresses of Spanish ladies, the men jesting and laughing, the women shamelessly applauding with waving handkerchiefs and clapping palms, all alike triumphing openly in the death of the hated Indian, the brother of the water buffalo, whose insolence had wounded their pride, turning away, sick at heart, from the contemplation of this bitter tragedy. It is with a thrill of almost vindictive satisfaction that one remembers that less than 18 months later the lunette echoed once more to the sound of a mightier fusillade the roar of the great guns with which the Battle of Manila Bay was fought and won, and if in the moment of his last supreme agony the power to probe the future had been vouchsafed to José Rizal, would he not have died happy in the knowledge that the land he loved so dearly was very soon to be transferred into such safekeeping? Chapter XID After life in memory an hour or so after the shooting of dead wagon from San Juan de Dios Hospital took Rizal's body to Paco Cemetery, 
the civil governor of Manila was in charge and there also were to present the members of a church society whose duty it was to attend executions. Rizal had been wearing a black suit which he had obtained for his European trip, and a derby hat, not only appropriate for a funeral occasion because of their somber color, but also more desirable than white both for the full day's wear, since they had to be put on before the 24 hours in the chapel, and for the lying on the ground which would follow the execution of the sentence. A plain box enclosed the remains thus dressed, for even the hat was picked up and encoffined. No visitors were admitted to the cemetery while the interment was going on, and for several weeks after guards watched over the grave, lest Filipinos might come by night to steal away the body and apportion the clothing among themselves as relics of a martyr. Even the exact spot of the interment was intended to be unknown, but friends of the family were among the attendants at the burial and dropped into the grave a marble slab which had been furnished them, bearing the initials of the full baptismal name. Jose Protasio Rizal, in reversed order, the entry of the burial, like that of three of his followers of the Lida Filipina who were among the dozen executed a fortnight later, was on the back flyleaf of the cemetery register, with three or four words of explanation later erased and now unknown. On the previous page was the entry of a suicide's death, and following it is that of the British consul who died on the eve of Manila's surrender and whose body, by the archbishop's permission, was stored in a Paco niche till it could be removed to the Protestant Foreigner's Cemetery at San Pedro Macapi. The day of Rizal's execution, the day of his birth and the day of his first leaving his native land was a Wednesday, all that night, and the next day, the celebration continued the volunteers, who were particularly responsible, like their fellows in Cuba, for the atrocities which disgraced Spain's rule in the Philippines, being especially in evidence. It was their clamor that had made the bringing back of Rizal possible. Their demands for his death had been most prominent in his so-called trial, and now they were appraising themselves for their patriotism. The landlords had objected to having their land titles questioned and their taxes raised. The other friar orders, as well as these, were opposed to a campaign which sought their transfer from profitable parishes to self-sacrificing missionary laborers but probably none of them as organizations desired Rizal's death. Rizal's old teachers wished for the restoration of their former pupil to the faith of his childhood, from which they believed he had departed. Through this all they seemed to have worked for an opportunity for influencing him. Yet his death was certainly not in their plans. Some Filipinos, to save themselves, tried to complicate Rizal with the Catapunan uprising by palpable falsehoods. But not every man is heroic and these can hardly be blamed, for if all the alleged confessions were not secured by actual torture, they were made through fear of it, since in 1896 there was in Manila the legal practice of causing bodily suffering by medieval methods supplemented by torments devised by modern science. Among the Spaniards in Manila then, reinforced by those whom the uprising had frightened out of the provinces, were a few who realized that they belonged among the classes caricatured in Rizal's novel some incompetent, others dishonest, cruel ones, the illiterate, wretched specimens that had married outside their race to get money and find wives who would not know them for what they were, or drunken husbands of Moragos, they came to the Philippines because they were below the standard of their homeland, these talked the loudest and thus dominated the undisciplined volunteers, with nothing divine about them. Since they had not forgotten, they did not forgive. So when the Tonda, discoverer of the Catapunan fancied he saw opportunity for promotion in fanning their flame of wrath, they claimed their victims, 
and neither the panic-stricken populace nor the weak-kneed government could withstand them. Once more it must be repeated that Spain has no monopoly of bad characters, nor suffers in the comparison of her honorable citizenship with that of other nationalities. But her system in the Philippines permitted abuses which good governments seek to avoid or, in the rare occasions when this is impossible, aim to punish. Here was the Spanish shortcoming, for these were the defects which made possible so strange a story as this biography unfolds. Jose Rizal, said a recent Spanish writer, was the living indictment of Spain's wretched colonial system. Rizal's family were scattered among the homes of friends brave enough to risk the popular resentment against everyone in any way identified with the victim of their prejudice. As New Year's Eve approached, the bands ceased playing and the marchers stopped parading. Their enthusiasm had worn itself out in the two continuous days of celebration, and there was a lessening of the hospitality with which these heroes who had saved the fatherland at first had been entertained. Their great day of the year became of more interest than further remembrance of the bloody occurrence on Bagambayan Field. To those who mourned a son and a brother the change must have come as a welcome relief. For even sorrow has its degrees, and the exultation over the death embittered their grief. To the remote and humble home where Rizal's widow and the sister to whom he had promised a parting gift were sheltered, the dappled schoolboy who had attended his imprisoned teacher brought an alcohol cooking lamp. It was midnight before they dared seek the something which Rizal had said was inside. The alcohol was emptied from the tank and, with a convenient hairpin, a tightly folded and doubled piece of paper was dislodged from where it had been wedged in out of sight, so that its rattling might not betray it. It was a single sheet of notepaper bearing verses in Rizal's well-known handwriting and familiar style. Hastily the young boy copied them making some minor mistakes owing to his agitation and unfamiliarity with the language, and the copy, without explanation, was mailed to Mr. Bossa in Hong Kong. Then the original was taken by the two women with their few possessions and they fled to join the insurgents in Cavite. The following translation of these verses was made by Charles Derbyshire, My last farewell farewell, dear fatherland, climb of the sun caressed, pearl of the Orient seas, our Eden lost. Gladly now I go to give thee this faded life's best, and were it brighter, fresher, or more blessed, still would I give it thee, nor count the cost, on the field of battle, mid the frenzy of fight, others have given their lives, without doubt or heed, the place matters not cypress or laurel or lily white, scaffold of open plain, combat or martyrdom's plight, tis ever the same, to serve our home and country's need, I die just when I see the dawn break through the gloom of night, to herald the day, and if color is lacking my blood thou shalt take, poured out at need for thy dear sake, to die with its crimson the waking ray, my dreams, when life first opened to me, my dreams, when the hopes of youth beat high, were to see thy loft face, O gem of the Orient Sea, from gloom and grief, from care and sorrow free, no blush on thy brow, no tear in thine eye dream of my life, my living and burning desire, all hail, cries the soul that is now to take flight, all hail, and sweet it is for thee to expire, to die for thy sake, that thou mayst aspire, and sleep in thy bosom eternity's long night, if over my grave some day thou southeastest grow, in the grassy sob, a humble flower, draw it to thy lips and kiss my soul so, while I may feel on my brow in the cold tomb below the touch of thy tenderness, thy breath's warm power, let the moon beam over me soft and serene, let the dawn shed over me its radiant flashes, let the wine with sad lament over me keen, 
and if on my cross a bird should be seen, let it trill there its hymn of peace to my ashes, let the sun draw the vapors up to the sky, and heavenward in purity bear my tardy protest, let some kind soul o'er my untimely fate sigh, and in the still evening a prayer be lifted on high from me, O my country, that in God I may rest, pray for all those that hapless have died, for all who have suffered the unmeasured pain, for our mothers that bitterly their woes have cried, for widows and orphans, for captives by torture tried, and then for thyself that redemption thou mayst gain, and when the dark night wraps the graveyard around, with only the dead in their vigil to see, break not my repose or the mystery profound, and perchance thou mayst hear a sad hymn resound, tis I all my country, raising a song unto thee, when even my grave is remembered no more, and marked by never a cross nor a stone, let the plough sweep through it, the spade turn it o'er, that my ashes may carpet thy earthly floor, before into nothingness at last they are blown, then will oblivion bring to me no care, as over thy dales and plains I sweep, throbbing and cleansed in thy space and air, with color and light, with song and lament I fare, ever repeating the faith that I keep, my father land adored, that sadness to my sorrow lends, beloved Filipinas, hear now my last goodbye, I give thee all, parents and kindred and friends, for I go where no slave before the oppressor bends, where faith can never kill, and God reigns air on high, farewell to you all, from my soul torn away, friends of my childhood in the home dispossessed, give thanks that I rest from the wearisome day, farewell to thee, too, sweet friend that lightened my way, beloved creatures all, farewell, in death there is rest, for some time such belongings of Rizal as had been entrusted to Josephina had been in the care of the American consul in Manila for as the adopted daughter of the American toffer she had claimed his protection. Stories are told of her as a second Joan of Arc, but it is not likely that one of the few rifles which the insurgents had would be turned over to a woman. After a short experience in the field, much of it spent in nursing her sister-in-law through a fever, Mrs. Rizal returned to Manila. Then came a brief interview with the Governor-General. He had learned that his administrative powers to exile without trial did not extend to foreigners. But by advice of her consul she soon sailed for Hong Kong. Mrs. Rizal at first lived in the Bossa home and received considerable attention from the Filipino colony. There was too great a difference between the freedom accorded English women and the restraints surrounding Spanish ladies however, to avoid difficulties and misunderstandings, for very long. She returned to her adopted father's house and after his death married Vicente Abbott, a Cebuan, son of a Spaniard who had been prominent in the Tabacalera Company and had become an agent of theirs in Hong Kong after he had completed his studies there. Two weeks after Rizal's execution a dozen other members of his Lida Filipina were executed on the Lunette. One was a millionaire, Francisco Roses, who had lost his mind, and believing that he was in church calmly spread his handkerchief on the ground and knelt upon it as had been his custom in childhood. An old man, Moises Salvador, had been crippled by torture so that he could not stand and had to be laid upon the grass to be shot. The others met their death standing. That bravery and cruelty do not usually go together was amply demonstrated in Polavija's case and by the volunteers. The latter once showed their patriotism. After a banquet, by going to the water's edge on the lunette and firing volleys at the insurgents across the bay, miles away. The general was relieved of his command after he had fortified a camp with siege guns against the bold armed insurgents, who, however, 
by captures from the Spaniards were gradually becoming better equipped, but he did not escape condemnation from his own countrymen, and when he visited Geron, years after he had returned to the peninsula, circulars were distributed among the crowd, bearing Rizal's last verses, his portrait, and the charge that to Polavija was due the loss of the Philippines to Spain. The Catapunan insurgents in time were bought off by General Primo de Rivera, once more returned to the islands for further plunder. The money question does not concern Rizal's life, but his prediction of suffering to the country came true, for while the leaders with the first payment and hostages for their own safety sailed away to live securely in Hong Kong, the poorer people who remained suffered the vengeance of a government which seems never to have kept a promise to its people. Whether reforms were or pledged is disputed. But if any were, they never were put into effect. No more money was paid, and the first installment, preserved by the prudent leaders, equipped them when, owing to Dewey's victory, they were enabled to return to their country. On the first anniversary of Rizal's execution some Spaniards desecrated the grave, while on one of the niches, rented for the purpose, many feet away, the family hung wreaths with Tagalog dedications but no name. August 13th. 1898, the Spanish flag came down from Fort Santiago in evidence of the surrender of the city. At the first opportunity Paco Cemetery was visited and Rizal's body raised for a more decent interment. Vainly his shoes were searched for a last message which he had said might be concealed there, for the dampness had made any paper unrecognizable. Then a simple cross was erected, resting on a marble block carved, as had been the smaller one which secretly had first marked the spot with the reversed initials, RPJ. The first issue of a Filipino newspaper under the new government was entirely dedicated to Rizal. The second anniversary of his execution was observed with general unanimity, his countrymen demonstrating that those who were seeing the dawn of the new day were not forgetful of the greatest of those who had fallen in the night. To paraphrase his own words, his widow returned and did live by giving lessons in English, at first privately in Cebu where one of her pupils was the present and first speaker of the Philippine Assembly, and afterwards as a government employee in the public schools and in the LISO of Manila, with the establishment of civil government a new province was formed near Manila, including the land across the lake to which, as a lad in Calamba, Rizal had often wonderingly looked, and the name of Rizal province was given it. Later when public holidays were provided for by the new laws, the anniversary of Rizal's execution was in the list, and it has become the great day of the year, with the entire community uniting, for Spaniards no longer consider him to have been a traitor to Spain and the American authorities have founded a government in conformity with his teachings. On one of these occasions, December 30th, 1905, William Jennings Bryan, the great American commoner, gave the Rizal Day address, in the course of which he said, if you will permit me to draw one lesson from the life of Rizal, I will say that he presents an example of a great man consecrated to his country's welfare. He, though dead, is a living rebuke to the scholar who selfishly enjoys the privilege of an ample education and does not impart the benefits of it to his fellows. His example is worth much to the people of these islands, to the child who reads of him, to the young and old. The 50th anniversary of Rizal's birth was observed throughout the archipelago with exercises in every community by public schools now organized along the lines he wished, to make self-dependent, capable men and women, strong in body as in mind, knowing and claiming their own rights, and recognizing and respecting those of others.
His father died early in the year that the flags changed, but the mother lived to see honor done her son and to prove herself as worthy. For when the Philippine legislature wanted to set aside a considerable sum for her use, she declined it with the true and rightfully proud assertion that her family had never been patriotic for money. Her funeral, in 1911, was an occasion of public mourning, the governor general, legislature and chief men of the islands attending, and all public business being suspended by proclamation for the day, a capital for the representatives of the free people of the Philippines, and worthy of the pioneer democratic government in the Orient, is soon to be erected on the Lunette, facing the big Rizal monument which will mark the place of execution of the man who gave his life to prepare his countrymen for the changed conditions.